Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. We love getting new reviews, and we just got a nice one today I wanted to mention before the show. It's from a Podbean listener, and it reads, I'm really enjoying Anne of Green Gables. It is told with so much warmth and humor. I want to thank that listener very much for those kind words. Thank you. And now, Chapter 13 of Anne of Green Gables, The Delights of Anticipation. It's time Anne was in to do her sewing said Marilla, glancing at the clock and then out into the yellow August afternoon where everything drowsed in the heat. She stayed playing with Diana more than half an hour more than I gave her leave to. Now she's perched out there on the woodpile talking to Matthew, nineteen to the dozen, when she knows perfectly well she ought to be at her work. And, of course, he's listening to her like a perfect ninny. I never saw such an infatuated man. The more she talks and the odder the things she says, the more he's delighted, evidently, "'Anne Shirley, you come right in here this minute. Do you hear me?' A series of staccato taps on the west window brought Anne flying in from the yard, eyes shining, cheeks faintly flushed with pink, unbraided hair streaming behind her in a torrent of brightness. "'Oh, Marilla!' she exclaimed breathlessly. "'There's going to be a Sunday school picnic next week, in Mr. Harmon Andrews's field, right near the Lake of Shining Waters. And Mrs. Superintendent Bell and Mrs. Rachel Lynde are going to make ice cream. Think of it, Marilla! Ice cream!' And, oh, Marilla, can I go to it? Just look at the clock, if you please, Anne. What time did I tell you to come in? Two o'clock. But isn't it splendid about the picnic, Marilla? Please, can I go? Oh, I've never been to a picnic. I've dreamed of picnics, but I've never... Yes, I told you to come in at two o'clock, and it's a quarter to three. I'd like to know why you didn't obey me, Anne. Why, I meant to, Marilla, as much as could be. "'but you have no idea how fascinating Idlewild is. "'And then, of course, I had to tell Matthew about the picnic. "'Matthew is such a sympathetic listener. "'Please, can I go?' "'You'll have to learn to resist the fascination of idle, whatever you call it. "'When I tell you to come in at a certain time, "'I mean that time, and not half an hour later. "'And you needn't stop the discourse with sympathetic listeners on your way, either. "'As for the picnic, of course you can go. "'You're a Sunday school scholar,' and it's not likely I'd refuse to let you go when all the other little girls are going. But, but, faltered Anne, Diana says that everybody must take a basket of things to eat. I can't cook, as you know, Marilla, and, and, I don't mind going to a picnic without puff sleeves so much, but I'd feel terribly humiliated if I had to go without a basket. It's been preying on my mind ever since Diana told me. Well, it needn't prey on you any longer. I'll bake you a basket. "'Oh, you dear, good Marilla! "'You're so kind to me. "'I'm so much obliged to you.' "'Getting through with her O's, "'Anne cast herself into Marilla's arms "'and rapturously kissed her sallow cheek. "'It was the first time in her whole life "'that childish lips had voluntarily touched Marilla's face. "'Again, that sudden sensation of startling sweetness thrilled her. "'She was secretly vastly pleased at Anne's impulsive caress, "'which was probably the reason why she said brusquely, "'There, there, never mind your kissing nonsense.' I'd sooner see you doing strictly as you're told. As for cooking, I mean to begin giving you lessons in that one of these days. But you're so feather-brained, Anne. I've been waiting to see if you'd sober down a little and learn to be steady before I begin. You've got to keep your wits about you in cooking and not stop in the middle of things to let your thoughts rove all over creation. Now get out your patchwork and have your square done before tea time. I do not like patchwork, said Anne dolefully. "'halting out her work-basket, "'and sitting down before a little heap of red and white diamonds with a sigh. 
I think some kinds of sewing would be nice, but there's no scope for imagination in patchwork. It's just one little seam after another, and you never seem to be getting anywhere. But of course I'd rather be Anne of Green Gables sewing patchwork than Anne of any other place with nothing to do but play. I wish time went as quick sewing patches as it does when I'm playing with Diana, though. Oh, we do have such elegant times, Marilla. I have to furnish most of the imagination, but I'm well able to do that. Diana is simply perfect in every other way. You know that little piece of land across the brook that runs up between our farm and Mr. Barry's? It belongs to Mr. William Bell, and right in the corner there's a little ring of white birch trees. The most romantic spot in Marilla. Diana and I have her playhouse there. We call it Idlewild. Isn't that a poetical name? I assure you it took me some time to think it out. I stayed awake nearly a whole night before I invented it. Then, just as I was dropping off to sleep, it came like an inspiration. Dinah was enraptured when she heard it. We've got our house fixed up elegantly. You must come and see it, Marilla, won't you? We have great big stones, all covered with moss, for seats, and boards from tree to tree for shelves, and we have all our dishes on them. Of course, they're all broken, but it's the easiest thing in the world to imagine that they're whole. There's a piece of a plate with a spray of red and yellow ivy on it that's especially beautiful. We keep it in the parlor. And we have the fairy glass there, too. The fairy glass is as lovely as a dream. Diana found it out in the woods behind their chicken house. It's all full of rainbows. Just little young rainbows that haven't grown up big yet. And Diana's mother told her it was broken off a hanging lamp they once had. But it's nice to imagine the fairies lost it one night when they had a ball, so we call it the fairy glass. Matthew's going to make us a table. Oh, we've named that little round pool over in Mr. Barry's field Willowmere. I got that name out of the book Diana lent me. That was a thrilling book, Marilla. The heroine had five lovers. I'd be satisfied with one, wouldn't you? She was very handsome, and she went through great tribulations. She could faint as easy as anything. I'd love to be able to faint, wouldn't you, Marilla? It's so romantic. But I'm really very healthy for all I'm so thin. I believe I'm getting fatter, though. Don't you think I am? I look at my elbows every morning when I get up to see if any dimples are coming. Diana's having a new dress made with elbow sleeves. She's going to wear it to the picnic. Oh, I do hope it'll be fine next Wednesday. I don't feel that I could endure the disappointment if anything happened to prevent me from getting to the picnic. I suppose I lived through it, but I'm certain it would be a lifelong sorrow. It wouldn't matter if I got to a hundred picnics in after years. They wouldn't make up for missing this one. They're going to have boats on the Lake of Shining Waters, and ice cream, as I told you. I've never tasted ice cream. Diana tried to explain what it was like, but I guess ice cream's one of those things that are just beyond the imagination. Anne, Anne, you've talked even on for ten minutes by the clock, said Marilla. Now, just for curiosity's sake, see if you can hold your tongue for the same length of time. Anne held her tongue as desired, but for the rest of the week she talked picnic and thought picnic and dream picnic. On Saturday it rained, and she worked herself up into such a frantic state lest it should keep on raining until, and over Wednesday, that Marilla made her sew an extra patchwork square by way of steadying her nerves. On Sunday Anne confided to Marilla on the way home from church that she grew actually cold all over with excitement when the minister announced the picnic from the pulpit. Such a thrill as went up and down my back, Marilla. I don't think I'd ever really believed until then that there was honestly going to be a picnic. I couldn't help fearing I'd only imagined it. But when a minister says a thing in the pulpit, you just have to believe it. 
"'You set your heart too much on things, Anne,' said Marilla, with a sigh. "'I'm afraid there will be a great many disappointments in store for you throughout life.' "'Oh, Marilla, looking forward to things is half the pleasure of them,' exclaimed Anne. "'You may not get the things themselves, but nothing can prevent you from having the fun of looking forward to them.' Mrs. Lynde says, "'Blessed are they who expect nothing, for they shall never be disappointed.' but I think it would be worse to expect nothing than to be disappointed. Marilla wore her amethyst brooch to church that day as usual. Marilla always wore her amethyst brooch to church. She would have thought it rather sacrilegious to leave it off, as bad as forgetting her Bible or her collection time. That amethyst brooch was Marilla's most treasured possession. A seafaring uncle had given it to her mother, who in turn had bequeathed it to Marilla. It was an old-fashioned oval, "'containing a braid of her mother's hair, "'surrounded by a border of very fine amethyst. "'Marilla knew too little about precious stones "'to realize how fine the amethysts actually were, "'but she thought them very beautiful "'and was always pleasantly conscious "'of their violet shimmer at her throat, "'above her good brown satin dress, "'even though she couldn't see it. "'Anne had been smitten with delighted admiration "'when she first saw that brooch. "'Oh, Marilla, it's a perfectly elegant brooch!' "'I don't know how you can pay attention to the sermon or the prayers when you have it on. "'I couldn't, I know. "'I think amethysts are just sweet. "'They are what I used to think diamonds were like. "'Long ago, before I'd ever seen a diamond, "'I read about them, and I tried to imagine what they would be like. "'I thought they'd be lovely, glimmering purple stones. "'When I saw a real diamond in a lady's ring one day, "'I was so disappointed, I cried. "'Of course, it was very lovely, but it wasn't my idea of a diamond.' "'Will you let me hold the brooch for one minute, Marilla? "'Do you think amethyst can be the souls of good violets?' "'We'll return with Chapter 14, right after these sponsor messages.' "'You know how to book flights and hotels. "'All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences "'you'll have once you arrive. "'That's why you need Viator. "'Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place "'to make your trip truly unforgettable.' Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now Chapter 14, Anne's Confession. On the Monday evening before the picnic, Marilla came down from her room with a troubled face. Anne, she said to that small personage, who was shelling peas by the spotless table and singing Nellie of the Hazel Dell, with a vigor and expression that, that did credit to Diana's teaching. Did you see anything of my amethyst brooch? I thought I stuck it in my pincushion when I came home from church yesterday evening, but I can't find it anywhere. I I saw it this afternoon when you were away at the Aid Society, said Anne, a little slowly. I was passing your door when I saw it on the cushion, so I went in to look at it. Did you touch it? said Marilla sternly. Yes. "'admitted Anne. "'I took it up, and I pinned it on my breast "'just to see how it would look. "'You had no business in doing anything of the sort. "'It's very wrong in a little girl to meddle. "'You shouldn't have gone into my room in the first place. 
"'and you shouldn't have touched a brooch "'that didn't belong to you in a second. "'Where did you put it?' "'Oh, I put it back on the bureau. "'I hadn't it on a minute. "'Truly, I didn't mean to meddle, Marilla. "'I didn't think about its being wrong "'to go in and try on the brooch, "'but I see now that it was, "'and I'll never do it again. "'That's one good thing about me. "'I never do the same naughty thing twice.' "'You didn't put it back,' said Marilla. "'That brooch isn't anywhere on the bureau. "'You've taken it out or something, Anne.' "'I did put it back,' said Anne, quickly. "'Pertly,' Marilla thought. "'I don't just remember whether I stuck it on the pincushion "'or laid it on the china tray, "'but I'm perfectly certain I put it back.' "'I'll go and have another look,' said Marilla, "'determining to be just. "'If you put that brooch back, it's there still. "'If it isn't, I'll know you didn't. "'That's all.' Marilla went to her room and made the thorough search, not only over the bureau, but in every other place she thought the brooch might possibly be. It was not to be found, and she returned to the kitchen. Anne, the brooch is gone. By your own admission, you were the last person to handle it. Now what have you done with it? Tell me the truth at once. Did you take it out and lose it? No, I didn't, said Anne solemnly, meeting Marilla's angry gaze squarely. "'I never took the brooch out of your room, and that is the truth, "'if I was to be led to the block for it, "'although I'm not very certain what a block is. "'So there, Marilla.' "'Anne's so there was only intended to emphasize her assertion, "'but Marilla took it as a display of defiance. "'I believe you're telling me a falsehood, Anne,' she said sharply. "'I know you are. "'There now, don't say anything more unless you're prepared to tell me the whole truth.' "'Go to your room and stay there until you're ready to confess.' "'Will I take the peas with me?' said Anne, meekly. "'No, I'll finish shelling them myself. Do as I bid you.' When Anne had gone, Marilla went about her evening tasks in a very disturbed state of mind. She was worried about her valuable brooch. What if Anne had lost it? And how wicked of the child to deny having taken it, when anybody could see she must have, with such an innocent face, too.' "'I don't know what I wouldn't sooner have had happen,' thought Marilla, as she nervously shelled the peas. "'Of course, I don't suppose she meant to steal it or anything like that. She's just taken to it to play with or help along that imagination of hers. She must have taken it, that's clear, for there hasn't been a soul in that room since she was in it, by her own story, until I went up tonight. And the brooch is gone. There's nothing surer. I suppose she has lost it and is afraid to own up for fear she'll be punished.' It's a dreadful thing to think she tells falsehoods. It's a far worse thing than her bit of temper. It's a fearful responsibility to have a child in your house you can't trust. Slyness and untruthfulness, that's what she's displayed. I declare I feel worse about that than about the brooch. If she'd only have told the truth about it, I wouldn't mind so much. Marilla went to her room at intervals all through the evening and searched for the brooch, without finding it. A bedtime visit to the East Gable produced no result. Anne persisted in denying that she knew anything about the brooch, but Marilla was only the more firmly convinced that she did. She told Matthew the story the next morning. Matthew was confounded and puzzled. He could not so quickly lose faith in Anne, but he had to admit that the circumstances were against her. "'Are you sure it hasn't fell down behind the bureau?' was the only suggestion he could offer. "'I moved the bureau, and I've taken out the drawers, "'and I've looked at every crack and cranny,' "'was Marilla's positive answer. "'The brooch is gone, and that child has taken it "'and lied about it. "'That's the plain, ugly truth, Matthew Cuthbert, "'and we might as well look it in the face.' 
Well, now, what are you going to do about it? Matthew asked forlornly, feeling secretly thankful that Marilla, and not he, had to deal with the situation. He felt no desire to put his oar in this time. She'll stay in her room until she confesses, said Marilla grimly, remembering the success of this method in the former case. Then we'll see. Perhaps we'll be able to find the brooch if she'll only tell where she took it. But in any case, she'll have to be severely punished, Matthew. Well, now, you'll have to punish her, said Matthew, reaching for his hat. I've nothing to do with it, remember. You warned me off yourself. Marilla felt deserted by everyone. She couldn't even go to Mrs. Lynn for advice. She went up to the East Gable with a very serious face and left it with a face more serious still. Anne steadfastly refused to confess. She persisted in asserting that she had not she persisted in asserting that she had not taken the brooch. The child had evidently been crying, and Marilla felt a pang of pity which she sternly repressed. By night she was, as she expressed it, beat out. "'You'll stay in this room until you confess, Anne. "'You can make up your mind to that,' she said firmly. "'But the picnic is tomorrow, Marilla,' cried Anne. "'You won't keep me from going to that, will you? "'You'll just let me out for the afternoon, won't you? "'Then I'll stay here as long as you like afterwards cheerfully. "'But I must go to the picnic.' "'You'll not go to picnics or anywhere else until you've confessed, Anne.' "'Oh, Marilla!' gasped Anne. "'But Marilla had gone out?' and shut the door. Wednesday morning dawned as bright and fair as if expressly made to order for the picnic. Birds sang around green gables. The Madonna lilies in the garden sent out whiffs of perfume that entered in on viewless winds at every door and window and wandered through halls and rooms like spirits of benediction. The birches in the hollow waved joyful hands as if watching for Anne's usual morning greeting from the east gable. But Anne was not at her window. When Marilla took her breakfast up to her, she found the child sitting primly on her bed, pale and resolute, with tight-shut lips and gleaming eyes. Marilla, I'm ready to confess. Ah! Marilla laid down her tray. Once again her method had succeeded, but her success was very bitter to her. Let me hear what you have to say then, Anne. I took the amethyst brooch, said Anne, as if repeating a lesson she had learned. I took it, just as you had said. I didn't mean to take it when I went in, but it did look so beautiful, Marilla, when I pinned it on my breast that I was overcome by an irresistible temptation. I imagined how perfectly thrilling it would be to take it to Idlewild and play I was the Lady Cordelia Fitzgerald. It would be so much easier to imagine I was the Lady Cordelia if I had a real amethyst brooch on. Diana and I make necklaces of roseberries, but what are roseberries compared to amethysts? So I took the brooch. I thought I could put it back before you came home. I went all the way around by the road to lengthen out the time. When I was going over the bridge across the lake of shining waters, I took the brooch off to have another look at it. Oh, how it did shine in the sunlight. And then when I was leaning over the bridge, it just slipped through my fingers, so, and went down, 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 all purply sparkling, and sank forevermore beneath the lake of shining waters. And that's the best I can do at confessing, Marilla. Marilla felt hot anger surge up into her heart again. The child had taken and lost her treasured amethyst brooch, and now sat there calmly reciting the details thereof without the least apparent compunction or repentance. "'Anne, this is terrible,' she said, trying to speak calmly. "'You're the very wickedest girl I ever heard of.' "'Yes, I suppose I am,' agreed Anne tranquilly. 
and I know I'll have to be punished. It'll be your duty to punish me, Marilla. Won't you please get it over right off, because I'd like to go to the picnic with nothing on my mind. Picnic, indeed. You'll go to no picnic today, Anne Shirley. That shall be your punishment. And it isn't half severe enough, either, for what you've done. Not go to the picnic? Anne sprang to her feet and clutched Marilla's hand. But you promised me I might. Oh, Marilla, I must go. That was why I confessed. Punish me any way you like but that. Oh, Marilla, please, please let me go to the picnic. Think of the ice cream. For anything you know, I may never have a chance to taste ice cream again. Marilla disengaged Anne's clinging hands stonily. You needn't plead, Anne. You're not going to the picnic, and that's final. Nope, not a word. Anne realized that Marilla was not to be moved. She clasped her hands together, gave a piercing shriek, and then flung herself face downward on the bed, crying and writhing in an utter abandonment of disappointment and despair. "'For the land's sake!' gasped Marilla, hastening from the room. "'I believe the child is crazy. No child in her senses would behave as she does. If she isn't, she's utterly bad. Oh, dear, I'm afraid Rachel was right from the first. But I've put my hand to the plow, and I won't look back.' That was a dismal morning. Marilla worked fiercely and scrubbed the porch floor and the dairy shelves when she could find nothing else to do. Neither the shelves nor the porch needed it, but Marilla did. Then she went out and raked the yard. When dinner was ready, she went to the stairs and called Anne. A tear-stained face appeared, looking tragically over the banisters. "'Come down to your dinner, Anne.' "'I don't want any dinner, Marilla,' said Anne, sobbingly. "'I couldn't eat anything.' My heart is broken. You'll feel remorse of conscience some day, I expect, for breaking it, Marilla. But I forgive you. Remember when the time comes that I forgive you. But please don't ask me to eat anything, especially boiled pork and greens. Boiled pork and greens are so unromantic when one's in affliction. Exasperated, Marilla returned to the kitchen and poured out her tale of woe to Matthew, who, between his sense of justice and his unlawful sympathy with Anne, was a miserable man. "'Well, now, she shouldn't have taken the brooch, Marilla, "'or told stories about it,' he admitted, "'mournfully surveying his plateful of unromantic pork and greens "'as if he, like Anne, thought it a food unsuited to crisis of feeling. "'But she's such a little thing, such an interesting little thing. "'Don't you think it's pretty rough not to let her go to the picnic "'when she's so set on it?' "'Matthew Cuthbert, I'm amazed at you. "'I think I've let her off entirely too easy.' "'and she doesn't appear to realize how wicked she's been at all. "'That's what worries me the most. "'If she'd really felt sorry, it wouldn't be so bad. "'And you don't seem to realize it either. "'You're making excuses for her all the time to yourself. "'I can see that.' "'Well, now, she's such a little thing,' "'feebly reiterated Matthew. "'And there should be allowances made, Marilla. "'You know she's never had any bringing up.' "'Well, she's having it now,' retorted Marilla. "'The retort silenced Matthew,' "'if it did not convince him. "'That dinner was a very dismal meal. "'The only cheerful thing about it was Jerry Bout, "'the hired boy, "'and Marilla resented his cheerfulness as a personal insult. "'When her dishes were washed and her bread sponge set "'and her hens fed, "'Marilla remembered that she had noticed a small rent "'in her best black lace shawl "'when she had taken it off on Monday afternoon "'on returning from the ladies' aid. "'She would go and mend it. "'The shawl was in a box in her trunk. "'As Marilla lifted it out, the sunlight... 
crawling through the vines that clustered thickly about the window, struck upon something caught in the shawl, something that glittered and sparkled in facets of violet light. Marilla snatched at it with a gasp. It was the amethyst brooch, hanging to a thread of lace by its catch. Dear life and heart, said Marilla blankly, what does this mean? Here's my brooch safe and sound that I thought was at the bottom of Barry's pond. Whatever did that girl mean by saying she took it and lost it? I declare I believe Green Gables is bewitched. I remember now that when I took off my shawl Monday afternoon, I laid it on the bureau for a minute. I suppose the brooch got caught in it somehow. Well, Marilla betook herself to the east gable, brooch in hand. Anne had cried herself out and was sitting dejectedly by the window. Anne Shirley, said Marilla, solemnly, I've just found my brooch hanging to my black lace shawl. Now I want to know what that rigmarole you told me this morning meant. Why, you said you'd keep me here until I confessed, returned Anne wearily. And so I decided to confess, because I was bound to get to the picnic. I thought out the confession last night after I went to bed and made it as interesting as I could, and I said it over and over so that I wouldn't forget it. But you wouldn't let me go to the picnic after all, so all my trouble was wasted. Marilla had to laugh in spite of herself, but her conscience pricked her. Anne, you do beat all. But I was wrong. I see that now. I shouldn't have doubted your word when I'd never known you to tell a story. Of course, it wasn't right for you to confess to a thing you hadn't done. It was very wrong to do so. But I drove you to it. So if you'll forgive me, Anne, I'll forgive you, and we'll start square again. And now get yourself ready for the picnic. Anne flew up like a rocket. Oh, Marilla, isn't it too late? No, it's only two o'clock. They won't be more than well gathered yet, and it'll be an hour before they have tea. Wash your face and comb your hair and put on your gingham. I'll fill a basket for you. There's plenty of stuff baked in the house, and I'll get Jerry to hitch up the sorrel and drive you down to the picnic ground. Oh, Marilla, exclaimed Anne, flying to the washstand. Five minutes ago I was so miserable I was wishing I'd never been born. "'and now I wouldn't change places with an angel.' "'That night a thoroughly happy, completely tired-out Anne "'returned to Green Gables in a state of beatification "'impossible to describe. "'Oh, Marilla, I've had a perfectly scrumptious time. "'Scrumptious is a new word I learned today. "'I heard Mary Alice Bell use it. "'Isn't that very expressive? "'Everything was lovely. "'We had a splendid tea, "'and then Mr. Harmon Andrews took us all for a row "'in the lake of shiny waters, six of us at a time.' "'and Jane Andrews nearly fell overboard. "'She was leaning out to pick water lilies, "'and if Mr. Andrews hadn't caught her by her sash "'just in the nick of time, "'she'd have fallen in and probably been drowned. "'I wish it had been me. "'It would have been such a romantic experience "'to have been nearly drowned. "'It would be such a thrilling tale to tell. "'And we had the ice cream. "'Words fail me to describe that ice cream, Marilla. "'I assure you, it was sublime.' That evening Marilla told the whole story to Matthew over her stocking basket. I'm willing to own up that I made a mistake, she concluded candidly, but I've learned a lesson. I have to laugh when I think of Anne's confession, although I suppose I shouldn't, for it was really a falsehood. But it doesn't seem as bad as the other would have been, somehow, and somehow I'm responsible for it. That child is hard to understand in some respects, but I believe she'll turn out all right yet, and there's one thing certain— no house will ever be dull that she's in. 
Thanks for joining us for Anne of Green Gables, chapters 13 and 14. Be sure to join us next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for chapters 15 and 16. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.